Hello, I'm Trevor Dan. Welcome to Cam's Politics, a new monthly show focusing on, well, Cam's politics. Politics in Cambridgeshire. The County Council, the City Council, the District Councils, the Mayor, our MPs. What are they all up to and how are their decisions going to affect us? In this first episode, why are the new Lib Dem Labour Coalition on the County Council raising our council tax? And what do the Tory opposition make of it? How's local business reacting to the pandemic, the rising cost of living and new fears of inflation? We'll get the views of the Cambridgeshire Chambers of Commerce. And we've assembled a panel of councillors from the three main parties to discuss the issues on their minds and also what they actually do for us. There's music too, with a theme which I challenge you to work out over the next hour. And to help us make sense of it all, we're joined by our political analyst and commentator, Phil Rogers. So, Phil, what a time we're having in local as well as national politics. Are you looking forward to 2022? Yes, I think we've got a fascinating year coming up. Um, it's certainly not dull at the moment. Uh, we've, we've got a really interesting set of local elections in May. We've got all sorts of stuff going on nationally. And we've got the traditional Cambridge issues, housing, transport, the problems of growth, the problems of inequality. Now, we're going to touch on some of the national issues with our panel later. But I just wanted to ask you, as we're recording this programme, we've got yet more turmoil going on in the Conservative national government. Do you think that has much impact on the way local politics works? I think it's going to have more of an impact in some parts of the county than others. So here in Cambridge, it's always primarily been a battle between Labour and the Lib Dems in recent years, and probably it won't impact that too much. But in South Cams, it could make a big difference if it takes away from the Conservative vote and allows the Lib Dems to hold on to the gains they made last, last time. Now, last time we met was to review last year, and I think it would be fair to say that the feeling is that the joint authority in the County Council took a bit of time to get themselves organised, not surprising because there was a lot of work to be done. What's your sense of how that's now coming together as a, as a joint enterprise? I think it's taken a while for them to settle in, but they're now getting to grips with the uh, the budget. We're going through all that at the moment, and they'll they'll be presenting the uh, council tax increase that we're all going to have to pay, uh, which is obviously coming alongside a lot of other pressures on the cost of living and dealing with the traditional challenges of, uh, of local government, which is not having enough money to deliver all the services that people want. And how are you feeling about the way that people in the county understand the division of labour between all these authorities. We talked about this on our review of the year, but for those who didn't hear that, you know, you've got your, your district councils, you've got the county council, you've got the city council, you've got the Greater Cambridge Partnership, you've now got the mayor as well as the county council. Are people clear what everybody's responsibilities are? Well, I'm hoping that we're going to see some, shall we say, less combative relationships between some of the bits of Cambridge local government, um, particularly now that the Conservatives are in, in control of rather less of it. I don't think we'll have quite the sort of party political arguments that there have been previously between uh, the combined authority and the city councils and, and so forth, because rather to everyone's surprise, we now have a, we now have a Labour mayor working with um, Lib Dem and Labour authorities, at least in the south of the county, perhaps they'll all be getting on a bit better. But as budget pressures and, and other considerations come into play, we, we, we may see a bit of aggro, who knows. 
a counsellor, let's say it was, was saying to me a little while ago that actually you'd be surprised how much consensus there is in local politics and that it tends to be just the kind of top 5% that people argue about. 95% of what's delivered goes through, you know, unopposed. That's right. And it's true that the officers at the various authorities do have a lot of influence and they're, I guess, quite a steadying hand behind the scenes. And then a lot of what has to be done has to be done no matter who's in control. Um, Adult social care has to be delivered come what may. And there's a lot of financial pressures on that that whoever's in charge will have to face. That was going to be my last introductory question, actually, which is um, to what extent do politicians make any difference when they get elected? Is it not just the civil servants who actually keep everything running? I think it does vary a bit from authority to authority. I think perhaps at the county council, the officers have traditionally had a little bit more say in the sense of direction. But certainly who gets elected does make a difference, as we've seen with the the cancellation of the CAM project. Um, In Cambridge, we've had Labour's very big council house building programme, and and that's definitely things that uh, a different party would have taken a different direction on. So, So, yes, I think it does matter who gets in. Phil Rogers for now. Thank you very much. Next up, the council leader and her deputy on Cambridge's new budget. And that's after the first from our themed playlist. Here's Pink on CAM's Politics. Pink getting our party started on episode one of Cam's Politics. We'll turn now to the County Council, which since last year has been under the control of a joint administration comprising Liberal Democrats, Labour and some independents. Now, you'll have heard the headline figures, I'm sure, an increase of 5% in the County Council's share of council tax and the claim that they inherited a potential budget gap of 85 million quid from the previous Conservative administration. But they've also announced a package of measures designed to spend £14 million of our money on what they call a Just Transition Fund. They're talking about a more caring Cambridgeshire. They want to extend the Care Together programme, improve flood prevention, tackle climate change, widen opportunities for kids with disabilities and much more. And the full council will debate these proposals on Tuesday next week. I've been talking to the council leader, Liberal Democrat Lucy Nessinger, and her deputy, the Labour Group leader, Elisa Meschini. Lucy Nessinger, leader of the council, how much of this extra money we're all going to have to pay is to fulfil your new ambitions and how much of it is to, if you like, backfill the hole in your finances that you discovered when you took office? So all the money that is coming in for the increased council tax will go towards keeping the council's finances sustainable in the long term. The Just Transition Fund that you started talking about is it's actually not long-term sustainable money. There are various bits of council money that, that only run for one or two years, and we want to use that as effectively as we can to try and tackle the challenges of climate change and the huge inequalities that there are across the county. But it's a slightly different pot in that that's not the long-term sustainable money and that the council tax money all goes towards making our social care services, taking a small step towards making them sustainable. Because actually, if you look at years two and three of the budget settlement, you'll see that there are still major gaps in the expected costs facing the council versus the money we've got coming in. 
It's the old uh, problem always, isn't it, with local government, in fact, all government, that everybody wants better services and nobody wants to pay more money for them. Do you think that when you go around knocking on doors and selling this idea to people, and I'm not talking here about getting it through the council, but convincing people who just live here that this is a good use of their money. Do you talk in your press release about the work that you did in advance with your um, polling? I'm not sure you've entirely given everybody what they wanted from the findings of that poll. I'm, I'm sure we haven't. I mean, I think we would all love to have better services and not have to pay any more for them, as, as you've said. Um, I think that the public are very much aware of the cost pressures, particularly the cost pressures on social care um, and, and the costs of social care, which are going up very significantly, um, which is partly due to higher levels of need, but also partly due to the wages are also going up. So as a council, we're being hit across the board by those rising costs. And I do think that that lots of the population are aware that that's something that we've got to deal with. I, I just hope that we can convince them that we're doing a good job in managing those cost pressures um, as best we can. I think the other thing that's really important as part of this budget settlement are the funds that are there to try and support the families who are really struggling this year, because we are extremely well aware of the fact that there are some families for whom the rising cost of living is making life really, really difficult. But that's not true for everybody across Cambridgeshire. There are an awful lot of us who have been comfortably able to work from home um, and who haven't been really badly hit by the pandemic. But there are some families for whom the increased energy costs, the, the costs of heating and the cut to the universal credit that the Conservatives brought in in the autumn are making things really difficult. Um, and so we're keeping the household support fund going uh, for the whole year so that people who are struggling to pay their council tax or in fact struggling with other bills, they should get in touch and, and let us know and, and see if we can help. Elisa, how collaborative was the planning for this piece of work? I mean, here are you, you two as different parties constantly arguing with one another over many years, and now you're all on the same side. So was there a lot of give and take? Was it a fairly collaborative enterprise? I think it's been a fairly collaborative enterprise. I mean, we have, as different parties, come to the table with different priorities. We've done that when we came together in joint agreement last May. Um, we have done that again this time around for the budget. It has been a difficult process, but not because we have disagreed. It has been a difficult process to actually make the sums add up in the challenging environment that we find ourselves in. And in fact, I think we have achieved a really good result in terms of being able to make sure that we mitigate if there is one message that i would say has come very loud and clear for all of us is that we want to mitigate the harsh inequality that has been made even harsher by the pandemic and while everybody will have to chip in there is no choice we have to we want to make sure that the impact on those who are hardest hit is mitigated we were talking about the polling that you were doing beforehand and you said that there was a lot of support for this idea of more individual service, that people can manage their own care services. Can you tell us more about what that actually means? So I think that the, the council already has has arrangements where many families manage the care for a family member or people purchase their own care. It's a really good 
way of doing things because it puts the person or the family in control um, and, and it would be great to be doing more of that but but sometimes people need support and, and um, kind of to feel confident enough to take that on and I think that's particularly true at the moment when sourcing care packages is so difficult so I think that's part of what that is about um if you really want the detail on it i'd suggest that you get richard howard on to, to cambridge 105 who's the chair of the um, adults committee who i'm sure will be very happy to talk to you about the detail on it well look we love detail here on this radio station and i but i'm going to ask you not for too much detail on my next question because you touched on this when we discussed last year lucy and and i said what's your greatest achievement and you said gully clearances and I noticed it's got the top. It's the top news on the press release here. Uh, flood prevention is the big thing. Why? Why have you chosen to headline that? Well, I think partly because it was something that had such a huge impact on people last winter. The impact of the failure by the county council last year to to make sure that gullies were being cleaned had an extraordinary impact across Cambridgeshire last winter. Because because those gullies hadn't been cleaned, houses were flooded, businesses were flooded. Um, so I can't promise that that won't happen because some of it depends on the weather. But I'm really hopeful that we've done a lot of work this year to make sure that it's not happening. Um, but I would also say that actually since then, I think that there are some other things in this budget that I am just as proud of, or if not more so. And, and the, the fact that we are going to be able to support some of our poorest households, some of the households who are struggling the most with the finances, is something that I'm absolutely, I think is really, really crucial as we face the cost of living crisis this spring. I don't know which one of you wants to take this, but one thing I'm interested in is the issue that you raise about central government basically not giving Cambridgeshire enough money. If the Conservative controlled council couldn't persuade them, how on earth are you going to persuade them to give you more money? Well, first of all, um, we're not going to stop trying. And that's really, really important because I think, you know, ultimately when you are central government and quite a lot of your fastest growing area in the country, Greater Cambridge is, is failing because of that. And it's not getting the support it needs to sustain the growth that it has. Everybody loses. So we are going to keep making the case that this needs addressing and we hope that whatever the motives whether the conservatives hope to regain this county they are welcome to try whatever their motives we don't care we want them to have a look at this county properly we want them to fund it for what it deserves we are not your average shire county we have an enormous amount of growth everywhere but certainly in greater cambridge 25,000 jobs are planned for the area in the next decade and you need infrastructure you need service demand provision you need those things and we're going to keep loudly making the case for it the other thing i would say trevor on that basis is that i think that there's been a serious danger of conservative governments taking this area for granted and thinking that they can not fund this area and people will continue to vote conservative regardless um, and, and i think if you look at where funding is going sometimes it seems to be quite closely related to where there are um, marginal seats. So I think we could do with a few more of those in Cambridgeshire in order to get some attention. Lucy Nessinger, leader, and uh, Elisa Meschini, Deputy Council Leader of Cambridgeshire County Council. Thank you for joining us on CAMS Politics on Cambridge 105 Radio. We'll find out more about this uh, and see if it gets through the council very shortly. Online, on digital. 
and on FM. This is Cambridge 105 Radio. So what did we learn from that exchange, Phil Rogers? Well, a lot of familiar themes, but also a certain amount of new emphasis, I would say. As ever, the County Council is really struggling with its finances. They're always after more money from the government, and they always have more things to spend money on than they they have cash available. We are seeing a fairly substantial rise in council tax from the County Council. That's the largest part of the council tax that that everyone pays. Um, But perhaps we're seeing a bit of a different emphasis, and flood prevention is something that uh, uh, seems to be being focused on, and also the problems of growth and uh, perhaps hoping for a a, a little bit more attention from the government if there's some more marginal seats is uh, quite an interesting point to make. We were talking, weren't we, a minute or two ago about how much of local government is actually about consensus. I thought it was quite interesting to hear Labour and the Liberal Democrats talking so affably. Yes, they certainly seem pretty friendly at county level, which isn't always the case in the city, but um, needs must, I guess, when you're in coalition. Well, talk to me about that, because, you know, you know the city council well. What, why is there a bit more push and pull in the city than there is in the county, do you think? Well, we have a rather different political situation in the city. Labour have a pretty comfortable majority and uh, the Lib Dems can hammer away at them. But there's not really going to be very much risk that uh, Labour are going to be out any time soon. So there's a, definitely a bit more scope for, uh, shall we say, combative approach in the, in the council chamber when there's a larger majority. But uh, uh, when things are as finely balanced as they are in the county, then uh, people tend to work together a bit more. Now, of course, what happened in national politics when the Tories and the Lib Dems got together as a coalition was that the Tories went on to win an, an election and the Lib Dems disappeared. What's going to happen to the county Labour people who've gone in with the Lib Dems? Well, that's quite interesting. I think because we have a distribution of seats where the Lib Dems have a better chance versus seats where the Labour have a better chance, that there's going to be a bit more stability. I mean, we'll still see a lot of closely contested seats in the in Cambridge City itself uh, for the County Council. And, you know, even though they've been in coalition, they'll they'll still be out fighting each other. But uh, in, in, in other areas, I think um, the, the Lib Dems in particular will have a reasonable chance of getting back in. Phil Rogers, thank you. Uh, stay with us. Um, we're going to have some Leslie Gore. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. Cry if I want to. Cry if I want to. You would cry too if it happened to you. It's Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm Trevor Dan, and this is the first edition of Cam's Politics, which is going to be our monthly look at what goes on in local politics. But I want to just pull away from the council chambers for a moment and talk to somebody from the Chambers of Commerce. It's the CEO of the Cambridgeshire Chambers of Commerce, Vic Annells. Vic, thanks for joining us. I wanted to ask you about all the issues that are surrounding the business of politics. And what I mean by that is economics, the cost of living, how businesses are going to function. Council tax is going up. People are struggling. From a business point of view, what are you hearing from your colleagues? Well, look, first of all, thank you very much for letting me come and join you in this. Um, and uh, I look forward to, to seeing this program developed that you're putting together. You can be on every week if you want, but. 
<laughs> Look, I mean, you're absolutely right. that You can't talk about politics without talking about economics because I think, you know, what actually keeps people moving is the fact that we have a very healthy and strong economy. And right now we've got so many different things that are actually seemingly um, there to beat us down. We've recently heard about Ofgem, uh, the price cap, which is going to push people's bills up by many hundreds of pounds. Um, and that's also going to have an impact on inflation, which is going to push probably up to 7% because of that. While all the time our companies are saying, hang on, it's 7%. How am I supposed to cope with that? I'm going to have to start increasing my prices because... If you work for a company during a period of time where inflation is racing away at 7%, you're going to be starting to say, what about my salary increase? I don't want to see 1%, 2%, 3%, 7% is what's going on out there. And if I can expand on that ever so slightly, if I may, you've basically got a number of things in supply chain that are increasing temporarily. And the key for me is if you can identify what those things are and you can start to plan around a temporary price increase, then perhaps you as a company can consider a temporary price increase. But I can guarantee you employees are not saying, hang on, those things are only temporary. I expect energy costs one day will come back. So only give me a temporary salary increase. But as soon as you then move into the space of a longer term or permanent salary increase, you then start boosting inflation still further and it becomes a cycle. I'm old enough to remember the 1970s and that was exactly what happened then. You know, there were promises made that, well, you know, if you if you embrace pay restraint, I think it was called at the time, it'll, it'll all come right in the end. But nobody believed it and it never came right in the end, was it? And we ended up with massive kind of 30% inflation. Can you see that recurring? Uh, listen, I don't think so. I think, I think, for example, I was talking to one um, fairly large company only a couple of days ago, and um, I asked them, what, what do they anticipate will be the energy price increase? And they're quite energy intensive. It's quite an automated facility, so they don't have a lot of staff, but they have a lot of energy to run all the equipment that they've got. And they said, we think we're going to have a 35% price increase over time. Do they put that straight on the price? Well, in a market that's very, very price competitive, they can't just simply load that on their price because that may cause customers to switch to alternate suppliers. So it's a real dilemma. And what they haven't got as a challenge is they haven't got a belief of doom and gloom. They've got a very positive outlook. Their belief is that this surcharge in energy prices will come back down in the not too distant future. But they're talking maybe over a couple of years. Okay, let me ask you, about employment one thing that this region has noticed is that a lot of people from Europe went home and it's been difficult to recruit has it not so does that not put a different kind of pressure onto the kind of economic cycle I've seen numbers that talk about over a million people have left the workforce I won't bother to identify whether they're people who have left the country or they've chosen not to continue working. It's a big number though, isn't it? It's a huge number. Now, what do you do with that gap? What it means is employees can start to pick and choose a little more. So lorry drivers, um, I was talking to one company who said, look, we've always been in this space where we've always looked after our lorry drivers. We've managed to retain them over time because one of the things we do is we always provide them accommodation when they're on long haul routes. So we don't make them sleep in their cabs and we do treat them well. But now more and more companies are coming around to thinking, actually, I'm going to have to look after these people if I want to keep them. I'm going to have to pay them more. Their conditions are going to have to change. A lot of younger people that are choosing to work for companies now are starting to say, hang on, hang on, what do you stand for as a company? 
what, what, what's your purpose and what are your values? Whereas back in the day, I mean, look, you know, when I left school, it was there's a job, go and do it. Um, these days, it's so uh, there's a job, but a company I don't really want to work for. Um, do, you, do you find, I don't think this is changing the subject, do you find, Vic, any of your members saying, I was quite keen on this Brexit lark, but you know what? I'm not sure anymore. I'm looking at how difficult it is to get staff. I'm looking at the queues to get into Dover. I'm looking at the problems with lorry drivers. I'm looking at inflation. Do you sense that within the business community there might be a sense of, of pushback against Brexit and all that it meant? I think um, I struggle to find people that are that honest. Uh, that would oh. admit to uh, I was this. What an and now interesting I'm answer! <laughs> I, I don't think I have many conversations with somebody who was in favour of it and now uh, would backpedal because I think we've moved on. To be fair, but you know what? I'm hearing um, right right now in in the last few days we've been hearing a lot more about Northern Ireland. Let me put my colours on the mast very clearly. I don't think there should be a border between us and France in terms of economy, in terms of business. I think that's just as close, and and for me it's just as worrying. I can't simply attribute all the ills of what we're currently suffering to Brexit. I think, you know, um, had we not had the pandemic, people would have much sooner realised just how demanding the changes for Brexit are, especially for international companies. If you're trying to do business, you have to change. Uh, documentation has become more complicated. But this is in a world where it's meant to have been simpler for businesses to, to work. Cutting the red tape. Yeah. And you know what? That's That's additional work we knew was coming. But free trade agreements are starting to gather pace and they are starting to happen. And we are seeing Department of International Trade out there trying to make those things happen. So let's see where the progress takes us. So final question, the business community in Cambridgeshire, who do you look to to make your life better? Do you look to the mayor? Do you look to the county council, to the city council, to the uh, district councils, to your MPs? Who's going to make your business life better? And most of the time when I talk to companies, I, t I tend to, to talk to them about what challenges they face as a business. And, and they, I don't often hear that it's our political leadership that the challenge. I often hear that the sort of sentiment is always shoot the wolf nearest the sled. I've got to keep my business alive. And there are some difficulties with wolves off on the horizon. I can see that challenge. But actually, there's one right next to me that's causing me a problem. And that's probably cash flow. It's probably not politicians or leaders. What they absolutely hate, though, and don't have any time for at all, is the squabbling and the spats that take place that they see publicly. Because we, we have a, a, as a nation, we have a reputation to keep. And if I can say one political comment, as a former diplomat, I'm very, very interested in international relations. I wonder what we all think Putin will be thinking of our prime minister at the moment, attempting to say Britain will be tough and hard to deal with should you do the wrong thing. And Putin will be looking there and saying, hang on, isn't this the guy that's not even allowed to have a party in his own home and he can't cope with his own backyard, let alone over in Ukraine? I think we shall leave it there. Vic Manel, thank you. And um, Phil, any thoughts about what Vic's had to say? Yes, I think it's very interesting, the pressures on, on employment and uh, people are going to be looking for, for wage rises to cope with the uh, rising cost of living and uh, that's going to put all sorts of uh, challenges in, in the way of business. So I think that's definitely going to be a theme of the year to come. We're going to hear from the leader of the opposition on Cambridge County Council after this. <laughs>
Joining me now on uh, CAMS Politics is uh, Councillor Steve Count, who is the leader of the opposition on CAMS County Council. I'm just going to pick one phrase from your paper. It says you're describing the joint administration as blatantly profligate. Can you give me an example of what you, you see as their blatant profligacy? Yes, so really the situation is um, the same to a certain degree, but much less degree than uh, recent years, where we look at the budget gap over the following years and see what we're going to need down the line. And they talk about us leaving a budget gap, but they've taken one-off spending and used it time and time again. And, uh, you know, we said we do things differently. We haven't cut back on any of their expenditure, but they're giving out universal credit, uh, £20 if you're on universal credit. I see that as very political decision because there's no other filter on that. It's simply, are you on universal credit? Here's £20. They're, they're relieving the council tax on all cur levers. They've raised the minimum li- living wage to a real living wage, which from April will be 40 pence difference. Uh, but the burden on the council taxpayer is in the millions. Uh, and it's all that one-off spending when they know that they're just building up further problems for the future that, that's going to come back and bite everybody. And perhaps by then that they will no longer be there, and they'll just hand a mess on. A best way to describe it is the Gordon Brown School of Economics. Spend everything and leave a mess. Uh, Well, there are different views about uh, uh, Gordon Brown's chancellorship, of course, Steve. You say that, I just want to pick this up. You say in your uh, press release that uh, the joint administration has misled uh, members, the public and the media. Uh, Misled, is that a word for lying or obfuscation? So I, I think I get uh, get in trouble if I call anybody a liar, uh, and, and I'm not saying that they're lying. I think misled is really, yeah, obfuscation, clouding the issue. So I'm going to give you a very specific example. As you'll know from our amendment paper, we've put in a lot of financial information that was agreed by the Section 151 officer. It says exactly the same things as them financially, but in a different way. And the biggest example of them all is what happened when the um, government settlement came in. So they were building their budget, and when they got the government settlement, their paper said, we need to raise council tax by 4.99%, and that will balance our budget, because £6 million of recurring funding from the government. And our table, which is every bit as valid and accurate, said actually the money for next year is £10.2 million, £4.2 million higher. And then it changes the year after, and six million of which is current funding. So at the point that they put up the council tax, they knew that there was £4.2 million more for next year than they needed to settle the budget. But they did not present that information in a way that anybody could get hold of it or understand. Now, they've described some of their budgetary work as a just transition. And I was talking earlier to Lucy Nessinger and she was explaining about flood prevention and climate change and the Care Together programme and a lot of kind of warm and cuddly policies. It seems as though what you're really concentrating on is saying, actually, it's the it's the pounds and the pence that matter and they're going to spend money they don't have. OK, so, so we haven't undermined their policy because... <laughs> Some of it is just rewording. So the Just Transition Fund is a variation on the transformation fund that we created. We wouldn't have used it all the same way. The flooding money that they put in, uh, we, we agree with that. But, you know, let me explain what that money is for. That is for officers to go out to communities such as St. Neots, 
or St. Ives, St. March, where, where there has been flooding, and look at their watercourses and tell the owners you need to clean your watercourses, or you need to put rainwater butts at the bottom of your garden to collect the rainwater off the roof. Now, that will not solve the flooding problems that we see in March St. Nick. A much more serious attempt is needed, and that's why we put £4.1 million over and above what the uh, Joint Administration have done into flooding measures. £100,000 for uh, software modelling of areas such as uh, St. Ives or St. Kitts, and £4 million in the match funding pot, the Environment Agency and um, the Highways Agency and the Annual Water. They often have match funding because it is complex uh, how you have funding. So their, their measures is a, a sticking plaster and is not really a serious solution. Now, where that £4 million comes from, is seven million pounds worth of unspent money in the uh, trans just transitions pot. So, and the hundred thousand pounds come from the uh, underspend left over after we don't put up council tax because they've used the council tax simply to put up the general reserves. The council tax rise of one point nine percent. We agree with the adult social care element, but the council tax rise, the maximum possible, one point nine nine percent. That raises £6.85 million, and £6.5 million of that is going into general reserves. Councillor Cowley, what's the difference now in your role as the leader of the opposition compared to when you were leader of the council, particularly at a time when, you know, you worked quite closely with uh, Mayor James Palmer, didn't you? And uh, the, the mayoralty has changed hands as well. Do you feel as a Conservative somewhat frustrated compared with how you used to be able to perform your duties as a, as a county councillor? Yeah, it's very, it's very different for me uh, these days, Trevor, because whilst I used to be a person that was able to perform actions, my main role now is one of scrutiny. I mean, this, this uh, amendment would be a great example of where scrutiny goes well, because we've put forward three pages of uh, approved factual statements uh, on finances that were presented in a completely different way to the public. So our scrutiny role is going very well, but it's almost like an open goal shape against them. They, they make a claim that they're putting up council tax to protect services, and yet you soon discover you have the uh, uh, experience that our group does, where the bones, uh, skeletons lie, and they actually put up council tax to put the money into reserves. So, yeah, it's a different role for me now, but I feel that um, myself and my, our group are doing a good job in this scrutiny role and bringing to the public's attention the way that they're saying one thing and actually hiding the true facts that go behind that. In this programme, we're concentrating, obviously, on Cambridge and Cambridgeshire and local politics, but I'm bound to ask you this in the week of this uh, Sue Gray update. How helpful is it to be a member of the Conservative Party at the moment? Well, it does make it difficult, Trevor, because I see it nationally and I've got nothing to do with the national picture. Uh, minister after minister comes on to talk about great Conservative policies and they're talking about something else to do with uh, the Sue Gray report or something like that. And just like myself, here I am a very low down uh, on the political spectrum, no longer a leader of the council, leader of the opposition in a, in a local county. And instead of talking about the, the policies of the uh, joint administration, the failure to deliver, uh, I'm asked about questions about national things happening at Westminster. So it makes my life difficult, but I still, my role is to try and concentrate on what's best for the people of Cambridge. 
Phil Rogers is still with us. What do you make of the Tory response then from Steve Count? Well, we've got to feel slightly sorry for the Tories finding themselves in opposition on the County Council. It's uh, clearly a bit of a surprise to them. And and I think Steve Count is expecting to be back in before too much longer. But, uh, well, that's up to the voters, of course. Um, it's interesting his emphasis on um, portraying the uh, the joint administration as, as being profligate and um, they, they're they putting money into reserves, he's saying, and uh, raising tax that they, they could leave in people's pockets instead of putting into the reserves. And I thought it was also interesting the emphasis on flooding measures, which which we we heard from uh, uh, from, from Lucy and Eliza as well, um, and that's clearly going to be quite an issue as uh, as climate change develops. Okay, let's have yet another party tune, and then we'll join our panel. Cambridge 105 Radio, those were the Venger boys, nothing to do with Arsenal. That's uh, uh, the latest of our party tunes. Have you spotted this theme yet? <laughs> uh, we've got a panel assembled. Um, we have Mark Howell here, who is a Conservative, represents Caxton and Patworth. We have Cheney Payne, who's a Liberal Democrat and uh, represents the Castle Ward. And shortly, we think we'll have Nick Gay, who represents the Market Ward for Labour. I want to just get a feeling about not what my agenda is, but what your agenda is. Let me start with you, Mark. You're a Conservative. That's not an easy thing to be right now. <laughs> How do you want us to judge you and your performance as well, a councillor? As a councillor? Oh, right. Oh, not a... as a man. No. No, 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 that's fine. I didn't know if you meant in Conservative as in general terms, you know, and what's ha- happening at the moment, I mean, especially with your song titles. And I know what next is coming up as well. Um, no, it, it's always difficult, but you've got to look at what the person does. And I think the biggest thing that all councillors want to be really um, judged on is their own casework and what they do to help other people in their constituency. Yes, we go into the chamber and we shout and scream at each other and we do all that. That's fine. But, you know, are we then when people really need us, when the people who vote for us in our patches, when they call upon us to help them with whatever it is, a planning application, a bad road or something's happened to them and they need that bit of help and guidance and advice. Yeah, that's what I want to be judged. So all... Elected um, councillors always say, you know, whether you voted for me or you didn't, I'm still looking after your interests. Do you mean that? I would say, and I'm going to try, I'm going to speak for all councillors, yes, all councillors genuinely look after their constituents if they voted for that party no party or a different party they want to help them and, and that's we we all got different viewpoints of how we get to the particular goal and we might want to do it in a particularly different way but all councillors are there to help everybody and I would be very disappointed and I think very few councillors are not there to help and only in it for themselves I, I'm a rose between two thorns here <laughs> uh, listeners um, I would have got, uh, all councillors are there to look after their constituents we're grateful that uh, Nick Gay has turned up. Make yourself at home, Nick. We'll talk to Cheney first of all. How do you like then to be considered? What if you were doing an interview for the job? What would you say would be your key performance indicators? As a, you know, as a actually you're a teacher, aren't you? 
So you I know am, all about that stuff. <laughs> Key <Yeah>. performance indicators, <laughs> <Yes>. target grades. <laughs> exactly. And I think for me, it's about it's about making a difference. And the reason I became a teacher in the first place was because I wanted to make a difference to people. And in many ways, teaching is a very good preparation for moving into the local council because schools are tiny microcosms of society. And you see there every day, every single issue that I come across with my residents, you see reflected in their children at school as well. And you see the issues of inequality, of poverty, of disadvantage, of mixed opportunities opportunities and they all come through into the school building so it's very good preparation and I think seeing that and having come from teaching I'm still a full-time teacher but now a counsellor as well having seen that I think for me it really is about as um, as Mark said being there for people and standing alongside them and I think what I'd want to be judged by is the quality of the things that I achieve and what's incredibly satisfying as a counsellor is when you stand in your ward your division and you look around and you see things on the street that you've changed the reason I became a counsellor is because of walking around the area with people who were also standing or being counsellors for a number of years who were able to point out to me and say, look, I did that. I put a drain there so that this part of the street doesn't flood. And, and how do you feel when, when, when you see all the orange scooters in the way? What do, you, do you say, that's my fault? Or do you say, that's someone no, else's I, fault? I think well, the scooters are complicated because they're definitely not supplied by Cambridge City Council. <laughs> but I think what the scooters you know, are, are an example of is it's an idea, isn't it, that someone's trying out about sustainable transports. And where I can have an influence there is to look at issues such as where, where is it problematic for these scooters to be placed. For instance, just outside Aldi on Histon Road, which is in my ward, I've managed to make sure they're moved out of the way. And even though it's such a tiny thing that doesn't matter compared to Partygate and COVID and everything else, you feel good, don't you? And I'm sure my colleagues next to me would agree that you get to look back and see I've, yeah. I've changed something. And that's a great feeling. Let's bring Nick in here. Nick, thanks for joining us. Phil, our commentator, was saying earlier that he thinks that one of the themes at the moment in local politics, and it's coming out from the county council, is that there's a seems to be just people getting on a bit better. And then he said, I'm not sure that happens in the city council, though. Um, do you think, you, are you becoming a bit more affable with one another? Obviously, last May at the elections, there was a sea change at the county council. I myself was not really expecting to be elected, let alone having to very quickly uh, join and form uh, a new coalition administration. Certainly, the tensions between our party and the uh, Liberal Democrats are different because we have to do business with the Liberal Democrats every day, whereas in the City Council, the uh, Liberal Democrats are the opposition and don't have any real substantive say in uh, the policies that actually go forward because they will always be voted down. But I think the general point about the uh, County Council is that the atmosphere has completely changed. And in particular, we've uh, found a lot of things that the Conservatives were doing which I would uh, categorise as ranging between cronyism and out-and-out corruption, which we've had to deal with. And I think that uh, that, uh, that has been quite a, uh, quite a revelation. Cronyism, well, I'm, I'm, corruption. I don't know what to say about that. That's the first I've ever heard of it. I mean, I've heard councillors saying to each other that um, they disagree with each other's policies, and that's fine. I've heard councillors saying that they think there should be a different way it should be done. That's fine. But I've never heard in local government it being um, cronyism and downright illegal. I'm, well, your, so your I, I'm, I'm a bit flummoxed there. Your colleague Steve Count just a few minutes ago on this show said that the joint administration weren't misleading the public. 
I, I think um, maybe it's me because maybe I'm not up in the hierarchy there. But I mean, you know, I was before and, and I was a vice chairman of a committee and I, I pay very particular interest in the committees I sit on. Um, I think we work exceptionally well together. And I think the majority of things now and before have all passed very much um, all together. Now, Cheney, I think paraphrasing Nick, I think he said you guys don't really count because all you do is vote against what they say. I think we've just seen, kind of in a nutshell, a classic example of Cambridge Labour there. And I think it's interesting, Nick uses the phrase cronyism, when actually making it clear that apparently the democratic process in the city doesn't count for anything. But do you would... vote against what they say as a matter of course? We absolutely don't, no. We would vote against it if we disagreed with it, and on some things we do. But actually what's very frustrating is when you see within the City Council, if you've watched the Council meetings, you will see this. There's often a very silly argument about a point of principle or policy where Labour will disagree with us. And as Nick says, they have the carrying votes, so that thing doesn't happen until six months later when it does. And I'll give you the example on that of very recently there was a herbicides motion brought forward by Nick's Lib Dem colleague in Market Ward, actually, by Councillor Katie Porra, who proposed um, a trial to make two wards herbicide-free, which Labour changed substantially and didn't support until six months later, and it suddenly appeared in the budget. And I can give you numerous examples, such as passive house building um, and a whole range of sustainability measures across the city centre, where the Lib Dems are having absolute influence. And we let's just have, need let, Labour to stop let, playing party politics and get involved with that more quickly. Okay. Let's just ask Nick, do you think that government in the city would be better if you all got on a bit better? I think uh, since Labour took control in 2014, the city council has been very well run. The budgets have all been uh, very carefully calculated and a whole range of progressive measures have been put in place. For example, the uh, housing initiatives, the initiatives for the homeless. So obviously the arrival of a county council that's not controlled by the Conservatives is going to accelerate that trend of progressive politics across Cambridgeshire and, of course, the election of the uh, Cambridge and Peterborough Mayor Johnson. So the implication well. of that, Nick, is that you're in charge of everything so you can do what you like and you don't really care what these guys want. No, of, of course not. And I think uh, the point has been made that where there are reasonable and sensible th- things that are brought forward, then uh, then we will consider them and uh, maybe act on are them. Are you reassured, Mark? Well, I mean, I've worked very well with the city colleagues in the past on the uh, many joint things. For example, Kevin and I worked together very closely on housing for many years, and latterly myself and Rosie worked together on environmental services. So, yes, yeah, I know we work well together, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And obviously, South Cams and the city have very much joint services, and they have joint services in environmental services and also a planning. And to a certain degree, we work together on housing for economy of scale but uh, yeah you know so there's a lot of cooperation and working together you're going to have elections aren't you this coming year how are you all looking forward to it this is what i'd really like to get a sense of whether as working councillors you look forward to elections or whether you think oh god not i I really really don't look forward to an election I know I don't. It, 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 it's hard work. It's fun. It's great to um, be out there, but it's nerve-wracking. It's incredibly nerve-wracking. You're out there knocking on the doors. Well, talk me through mm. that moment of 
Hello. I'm from the Conservative. <laughs> yeah, can I just say at the moment, I don't mention I'm a Conservative. All right. Yeah, it's not a good time for us at the moment. I feel a bit ganged up on you. Um, no, it's a, it, you knock on the door. And by now, I mean, I know a lot of the people, or a lot of people know me or by my name. And obviously, my, your listeners would have guessed by now, I'm not exactly a local, you can tell by my voice. Just. So um, I, I'm no, distinctively got my voice, which uh, helps me as well. Cheney, what about you? It is actually great fun. I think lots of people probably have. I mean, when I first started canvassing, you know, many, many years ago for the e-referendum, it was terrifying that first time you do tap on the door and you've got no idea what you have behind it. And I think regardless of what I think of the two gentlemen next to me, we, I think we were all actually people who put themselves out there to do that, to go and help people. It's yeah. an incredibly brave thing yeah. to do. That is a very good point to finish. Uh, thank you very much. Cheney Payne from the Liberal Democrats, Mark Howell from the Conservatives and Nick Gay from Labour. This is Cambridge 105 Radio and uh, Phil Rogers is still here. Um, what did you learn today? Well, I think they like to uh, have the right to fight the other party <laughs> to a certain extent. But it's also interesting how much there is in common, I think, between particularly councillors who go out there, knock on doors, try and solve problems for constituents. And I think, you know, politicians often get quite a bad press and, and people are always criticising them for, for arguing with each other. But a lot of people who go into politics, particularly at a local level, I think they do it because they can see they'll make a difference in their community. And um, we, we've heard about uh, people who are actually trying to get something fixed locally and then afterwards, you know, you, you go past that zebra crossing or whatever it is or drain that's been fixed and so forth and you can say, I got that sorted out and uh, you have actually made a difference for the local community. Phil Rogers, thank you so much. Have you enjoyed it? Oh, it's been great. Will you be back for the next one? I very much hope so. <laughs> March the 6th it will be. This is Cam's Politics, so if you've missed this particular edition of it, there'll be another one in a month, but if you've just tuned in and you want to catch up on what we've been nattering on about, this is a podcast as well. I've been Trevor Dan. Thanks for listening. See you next time.